Cinderella, funny fella, running amidst the trees. Who's there? I said as I stood in my head, and nobody answered me. This is Bruce. This is John. And this is Blix. Welcome to the Fringeworthy Podcast. This is Bruce Sheffer, and I'm sorry I'm not going to be speaking a whole lot because unfortunately I've come down with something. So I'm going to let my other two co-hosts hopefully carry the ball mostly. But this week we're talking about land vehicles. We had a previous podcast about Fringeworthy vehicles, but now we're talking about the kind of vehicles that you would use to do your actual explorations how they would differ, and some of the specialty vehicles that are out there available for use. As one of 100,000, you probably have access to those specialized vehicles just because they know how valuable they could be on other worlds. So, John, why don't you tell us about the different kinds of vehicles that would normally be used in an exploration? You really don't know what kind of terrain you're going to run into, so you, you will be looking for something all-terrain. Even though uh, they probably have problems with it, when they eventually figure out how to make diesels work, they'll probably be looking at putting in a 1950s diesel into a Hummer. So that would be one vehicle you probably be looking at. If you know where you're going to, you can always make sure you have a vehicle that, that matches the area you're going to. So say you, you find a link to 1950s America. You don't want to show up in a Hummer. UPS truck maybe, but not a Hummer. There, you probably you'll need a special vehicle for that era, something from the 1950s, or at least something that looks like it's from the 1950s. So, really, any Russian or East German vehicle would probably be okay, right? Yeah, yeah, a Trabant would look just fine. In fact, it hasn't changed since the 1950s, probably. The the whole vehicle question will will fall into the terms of what we've discussed before between you know beginning era, middle era, and later era. Mm-hmm. In the beginning era, you're probably going to be countering a lot more worlds that haven't been researched quite as much as they should be. You may be the first people in there, which is going to dictate your choice in vehicles quite heavily. If nobody's been through there, you may not want to go through with a vehicle at all at first. Yeah, that, that might be a foot travel. You know you're going to a world you've never been to. You don't know what's there. I'm thinking you bring a bunch of small Enduros on a trailer bed. And then when you get to the portal, you take them through. You let the 15 minutes go by. Kickstart them up. And you drive off with them. So that way, if you need to ditch the bike at some point to hide it so that you can then move about on foot, it's an easy thing to hide. You even have a bag, you know, like saddlebags. And you could have like a ghillie suit type of cover for it inside the bag so that if you had to, you could lay the bike down near a bush, cover it with the ghillie suit material, like, you know, like a blanket, like a ghillie blanket, I guess. And in that way, you, you could move around and check stuff out and not worry so much about people discovering your vehicle. Whereas if you took a car and you didn't know where you were going or what you're going to run into and you're driving along and then all of a sudden, you know, you come over the hill and there's 50 guys on horseback, it's not going to cause your first contact to be so brutal. If you're coming up over the hill on a motorcycle, you could probably turn around and take off really quick, ditch the bike and hide. And then they might say, wow, that was a really weird creature he was on. Aren't so, motorcycles kind of loud, Blix? Yes, they are loud. That would be a problem. You could get specialty mufflers, though. I mean, like we were saying, you're the one in 100,000 so that you have, you know, you have access to things that people wouldn't normally have. They could design specialty mufflers to muffle the bike down, to muffle the noise of the engine down. It might be kind of silly looking, you know, this big, long or big, thick muffler on it, but it would, you know, it would serve its purpose. Being a motorbike rider, I happen to know for a fact most motorbike mufflers are designed to, to be loud. So you, you get that thrum, thrum going. So you probably can get mufflers that muffle the sound of the bike. What about an electric bike? Uh, you could do an electric bike. I know they have made them. I live here in Seattle. And there's a company here that actually will turn your uh, scooters and your bikes into electrics. But 
The problem there is that the best berries they can put into them only give them maybe about 30-mile range, and that's on roads. That's not off-road. That's just on roads. Well, you know, that might be fine because, you know, you go through the portal, mm-hmm. and then, you know, you stay overnight. You're going to you charge them up on a generator or something like that. You send these guys out, and they're only supposed to go 10 miles and then turn around and come back and well, report. That's pretty you good know, reconnaissance. Right. They all go, you know, go four separate directions. You go 10 miles, come back, mm-hmm. report what you've seen. If you haven't seen anything, then maybe you get another team or you send up your balloon or, or you know, you do whatever you need to do to get better reconnaissance. Yep. But at least that way you have a good sample of what's going on there. Yep. Right. And you could have cameras mounted on these bikes. Oh, yeah. So all the members of the team, even though they were separate, could still see what was going on with the other members of the team. And also, instead of batteries, too, I, I would imagine that eventually we'll have decent fuel cells. So they'll be able to come out, just basically wait the 10, 15 minutes, become operational, and then open the tap up and start running the fuel cells. Heck, for that matter, we talked about compressed air vehicles before. You could have a compressed air vehicle, you know, compressed air bike. I've seen that. I don't know how fast they would be or how much range you would have on them, but they, I think they'd be handy for you know that initial reconnaissance like we were talking about, and you could start them off immediately. There's a show on uh, Planet Green called The Planet Mechanics. One of the guys on it is Dick Strawbridge. He was on the Sc- Scrap Heat Challenge, Junkyard Wars. They built a air-powered bike. Yeah, it had like a range of like about five, six miles on a full tank, but yeah, it's possible. So it sounds like you've got an air-powered bike, especially because that stripped down, of that kind of a vehicle being so light, we get the greatest amount of range off of something mm-hmm. of low energy density like air. So you have an air bike to go initially maybe five miles reconnaissance, and then you come back, and then you, and by that time you can switch over to your uh, electric-powered bike and go you know, 20, 30-mile reconnaissance. Yep. And talk about no noise. I mean, an air-powered bike would make literally no noise. I think it would be just as loud, actually. Yeah, it, you basically have an exhaust, and the exhaust would have to be muffled. It's still using a reciprocating engine. Uh, oh, okay. Actually, in this case, it was a turbine, but still. Still. Okay. Same right, still. Okay. I'm thinking, you know what? I'm imagining an electric bike. Electric bike would be your quiet bike. I think it would be, too. Yep. Yeah, and if anybody tried to uh, tried to steal it, you could have this really nice little discharge aspect on it. <laughs> you know? I don't know if you guys have ever seen The Wizard of Speed and Time. Yes. They have this point where... One guy touched the bike, and he got frozen because he's being shocked. And then the next person tried to help him, and they got stuck. And they had this whole Congo line of people before the guy comes back and gets his bike back from the first guy who's trying to steal it. That's funny. If you want to keep people to steal it, all you need is to pull a breaker and take the breaker with you. No one's going to drive that bike. <laughs> if you were talking about especially a 1950 technology, they wouldn't even be able to figure out how it worked. Where's, Where's the, the ignition? And it probably wouldn't even need a uh, gearbox. The motors are on the wheel hubs. You don't need a gearbox. But if you're going to have a motor mounted, say, under the seat, yeah, you're going to need gears on it. Well, I know that one of the advantages of a electrical engine is the fact that it provides torque immediately. Yeah. And it doesn't have the whole flywheel rev up thing that you have to do with a regular vehicle. Yeah. Now, one thing I remember seeing, it was going to use Segway technology. And it was going to be a monobike using hmm. fuel cells. Right. Basically, the engine's inside the wheel. You climb on top of that, and using Segway technology, it stands up straight. You go off, and you run right off. It looks dangerous as all hell, and I'd probably get on one and ride it, too. <laughs> yeah, I could just see these guys using the Segway, you know, crossing the prairies. They do do make all-terrain Segways. <laughs> they do, and they do. I don't I don't know what kind of range they get or how, how handy they would be, but they might be. I mean, if you think about it, you could literally hang these things on the side of your truck. Mm-hmm. You could hang like ten of them. You could you could take a whole team of people and they could all go do reconnaissance. Right. I think we skipped one thing though. I think I think we jumped ahead to powered vehicles. Never leave out the bicycle. One of the first bicycles out there was, was were mountain bikes. They mm-hmm. worked just fine off all terrain. Uh, some terrain bikes work pretty well off terrain as well. Also, you gotta remember there, there's different styles of mountain bikes. Uh, there are the stunt mountain bikes, which have the big old shocks on them and all that stuff. And then there's the ones for people like you and me who don't go jumping off cliffs with their bikes. Mm-hmm. Right. What's so good about a bike is unless you run out of energy, it has fuel. doesn't make hardly any noise. easy to transport. You can get off the thing and pick it up. Or you could tie a rope around it, climb up a hill. 
clamp a, a sheer face that you couldn't drive up. You could pull the bike up and then it's, ride on. You can swim with it. Absolutely, you can swim with it. With the modern materials, and being that French really takes place in the near future, and you do have access to whatever you need for the most part, you could have bikes that are really super light yet really super strong. Yeah, they have shock absorbers on them. Right. Which yeah. is something I would have really appreciated when I was a teenager. And you can also put a small electrical engine on it for a sudden emergency boost. Yep. That's so. true. That's true where it might be able to just give you 10, 15 miles of boost, not distance, but uh, acceleration. Yep. So just to get you going if suddenly you had to run away from somebody who's shooting at you. Or you twisted your ankle, or you took a bullet in the leg. Yep. Right. And you just needed to get up, and you weren't able to get enough speed to get yourself up with that injured leg. Once you got going, you could pedal it with one leg. Right. I'm kind of still, you know, enamored with the uh, electrical motorcycle. I, I like that idea a lot. I keep thinking of the bike from Akira, which definitely was electrical. <laughs> well, these bikes do exist. They exist right now. They're kind of homebrewed. I've seen lots of shots on YouTube of people with these things, and mm-hmm. I'm sure that if you wanted one, somebody would be more than happy to build you one. It's a very practical thing to add to your exploring toolbox. Even here in Seattle, there's a company that does the conversion. It will take your motorcycle or your scooter and turn it into an electric bike. Of course, on a real cold day, they don't like to start. You mean they don't have much power? Yeah, that too. Fuel cells are different. Fuel cells actually get nice and hot when they run because you're mixing hydrogen with oxygen, and that's producing steam. So let's step it up. Then, um, you know, we got bikes, we got motorcycles. What about ATVs? And when I say ATV, I mean something short of a car. Quad bikes are more stable than a trike. Oh, I don't like the trikes at all. I, I wouldn't use a trike. Yeah. They're too, they're yeah. too unstable. I mean, the, the quad is, is 10 times better. From the very first edition of Fringeworthy, there's been the bug, the the little six-wheel vehicle that had the ability to go over literally any terrain because it was so light that it couldn't get bogged down in uh, mud. It would float in the water. It would go over snow. It was pretty much the perfect all-terrain vehicle if it ran like it was advertised. When I lived in Michigan, my neighbors had a bug. It's an actual real, honestly, God vehicle. Honestly, God ATV. It was orange in color. It had the six wheels. It could hold four people. We would take it into the water. It would run just fine. It would climb up hills just fine because we lived actually on a fairly hilly terrain. Our lake had dams to keep the level up. So when they let the water down for weed control, you could run it in the mud. It went through the mud just fine. So, yeah, it was definitely all terrain. 20 miles an hour, but it was all terrain. (laughs) 20 miles an hour is fine. I think for exploration, we're talking about exploration. Yeah. I'm not going to say it's not important because sometimes you need to get away from people. You can't outrun a horse, for example. Right. But it is Shoot probably horse. lower on our list than, say, range or reliability yeah. or functionability. It didn't have a big gas tank. It had like about a, a, a five-gallon tank. On it. So the range in that sucker wasn't very much. It was meant to be exactly what it was, a fun little vehicle that you kids run around with in the water or on, or on land or someplace. That was all it was. I think, in fact, I think it even had a lawnmower engine on it instead of a regular engine. That could easily be beefed up into a better design. Oh, yeah. I, when I think of a bug, I mean, I, I do realize that the one that's, that's in the game is based upon one that's essentially a toy, a rich man's toy. I think that for as an exploration vehicle, I think that well designed, like with um, uh, tires that were made out of bulletproof fabric, solid tires with foam cores. Well, okay, maybe, but also it had a uh, a decent sized trailer that could pull behind it, also on six wheels. I don't think a lawnmower engine would be able to pull something like that. Nah, they put a little two-stroke in it. Yeah, a small engine that's in like some of these smaller cars would be fine. This is an alternate universe. We can put whatever engine we want in the cars. But but something that's designed to be as literally all-terrain as far as land is concerned, I think that's always a good deal to add to your vehicle roster. Right, Uh, throwing a little Mini Cooper engine in it. Sure. And one of the things I really liked about the Bug is I always saw this as a kind of a crawler-type vehicle where – You'd be out there ahead, maybe on your bikes or your your electric vehicle, and you have a robotic link back to the bug. 
And so as you're going along trying to find your way, the bug is very slowly, slowly coming up behind you, bringing your stuff uh, robotically, figuring out the safe way to travel or maybe following the path that you've taken. You can have all your stuff with you without having to go back and get it. At the same time, keeping enough distance behind you, it'll be safe because you've already explored the land. And when you need more gas or a, a recharge on your engine, then you just basically go back to the crawler, which by now is, you know, maybe a quarter mile behind you. And then you go get yourself re-equipped and then go back out again. And when you're talking about crawler, I also think of tracked vehicles. There are small tracked vehicles out there. Trouble is most of them are owned by the military. Well, that's yeah, not a problem. That's not a problem, yeah. When I was in the military, I bought several guides to various uh, vehicles. And the thing is, most of them would have to be rebuilt. Anything that's current would have to be rebuilt for use in the fringe because, of course, they're controlled by electronics. You could always trailer some of these things or or tow them because these are vehicles you're going to use once you've gone through the portal. Yeah. I'm I'm assuming, John, that all the vehicles we're talking about here are ones that are only going to be used on the actual world exploring, that we've trailered them there. Yeah. You might have one Hummer whose job is to pull all this stuff. Oh, I agree, yeah. Biggest question is, when you go through the portal, what are you going to encounter in terms of terrain? Anything. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Absolutely anything. You can find yourself in a cave, and you realize there's a, only a four-foot ledge. The hover's staying on the platform, isn't it? <laughs> but I think so that's I- all part of your initial survey. When you actually decide to go and explore the world, you're really going to have done a little bit more research on that world than, than just you know what came back from the initial survey windup. Yeah. You're either going to be going to a world that you know or one that you don't know. And if you don't know, I'm going to say every single time without fail, you bring bicycles. Because like you're saying, that four-foot edge, you can carry a bicycle along that. Or push it, yeah. If you're in a cave, you can carry the bicycle out of the cave. If you're in a very, very dense forest, you can carry the bicycle through the forest until you get somewhere where you can actually ride it. I was thinking like Vietnam jungle where you actually have to hack your way through everywhere you go. But the, but the point of the matter is, is that if you've never been, I'm going to say bicycles are absolute positive must. Yep. Whatever else you bring, you bring bikes. You can strap them on the top of your vehicle, on the side of your vehicle, on the back, whatever. You can bring a trailer with, and you can put 10 of them on there. And they're great gifts. They're great gifts, right? They are, you're right. They are great gifts to the natives. I hadn't thought of that, but yes. If you're going to a world that you do know, that changes everything because you know where you're going. You you know what kind of terrain you're going to run into. You're going to bring whatever's appropriate. But I'm thinking you may not know who's there or how far out it goes. You just know the portal opens up, it's in a desert. Or the portal opens up and it's in, you know, a wintry terrain. It could be Arctic. We're not right. totally sure. Or so then, swamp you know, or heavily vegetated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. If you wind up in a swamp, of course, that'll be our next show, Water Vehicles. You bring an airboat or whatever. That's where the ATV right. comes into its own. Then the little bug and just scoot on through. Sure, right. a, bug would, a bug would be good for that. Yeah, absolutely. So... I think next we need to discuss bigger vehicles. You know you're at a world and you know you can take a car through or a truck or whatever. What would your favorite big, like, and when I say big, I don't mean like tank or, or you know, uh, tractor trailer, big as in bigger than a go-kart. Uh, what is your favorite, like, bigger vehicle to take? Pickup truck. A big, a big old Ford pickup truck. That wouldn't be my choice because, as you say, we're already assuming that we're going over land that we probably have some idea of what it's like. I would definitely pick a vehicle that had two things. One, it would be a double axle, mm-hmm. and secondly, would have some kind of hydraulic lift on the back. I don't know about you. I've moved plenty of times with that little thing that you drag out and you can roll stuff up and down on it. That doesn't do it for me. I want something where I can put a refrigerator on something, bring it up and put it into the vehicle. Mm-hmm. And those are really great because, A, they've got really good clearance. And so you can, a lot of times you can climb up on top of your vehicle and use it as a means of initial reconnaissance. So you're talking about something like a rider-type truck or a U-Haul-type truck? Yeah, I'm talking about something that's big enough to have two wheels on the back. In many ways, an awful lot like some of the Army vehicles. It would be uh, hard-sided. It would have a, a lift on the back, so you could actually things from the bottom up to the bed of the truck and down, of course. A fair amount of space on the inside. But I don't want it so big that I can't go anywhere. So we're talking a big engine on this thing. We're talking a 15-foot truck bed in the back, the heavy diesel that could pull me over reasonable terrain with two feet of clearance underneath. Right. So... Retrofitted with uh, four-wheel drive, of course. 
Well, it doesn't have to be four-wheel drive as long as well, it's a good enough push on the back. But, Bruce, if you can have it, you might as well. Well, sure, but it's just you know one more saying? thing to break down. True, true. But, I mean, you know, you, you get the best parts. You, you get the most reliable four-wheel drive maker out there to build that four-wheel drive for you. Oh, yeah. If I can have four-wheel drive, sure, go for it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, you, you know, you have it lifted a little higher than, than of course, your usual U-Haul-type truck. You get, you know, you get the, the frame lifted up a little bit higher, so there's a little more clearance. Throw in a couple extra emergency light type situations so you can light up everything around the truck. So if you want to set up a base camp and, and, and you know illuminate your whole base, you, know, you can set it up off this truck. Um, if you take all the equipment that you're taking with you out of the back bed of it, you could set up your miniature little Inveron inside of there. Yeah. Right. Um, Decent generator on it, a couple 55 gallons of fuel besides right. what's in the vehicle because your other vehicles that you're bringing with you, you know, need fuel too. There's no reason right. why you wouldn't use the truck to pull along unless the train is so bad that you got to go the route I talked about with the uh, crawler uh, bug thing. I would want that cargo area back there. I don't think I'd want it uh, heavily armored because then that's so much weight and you're pulling it around. Maybe lightly armored or armored with like cloth armor on the interior, something to catch the bullets after they penetrate through. The cloth will give distance-wise. Like in other words, you'd you'd be on the inside of it and the bullets would be punched through the side of it, and the, you'd see the cloth fluffing out. Of course, it's dis- dispersing energy. Right. So something like that is because that would be as lightweight as possible. And then I would definitely want a ladder on the inside with an access hatch on the top of it, so that you could you could climb to the top from the inside if you had to. Okay, that's a good idea. It's always good to get height if you have to defend. It's also a good hole to throw your grenades through. Yeah, yeah. And then <laughs> you put like a nice uh, sturdy ring on the top of it so that you can send your weather balloon up tethered to it with uh, your reconnaissance camera. Right. So that's a pretty good vehicle. I like that, Bruce. That's, that's nice. If I can get anything I want built, I know exactly what I would get built. I'd get a Landmaster. What is a Landmaster? <laughs> uh, my favorite vehicle of all time. You never seen Damnation Alley? I had pictures oh, of this thing. Okay. Right, it was okay. also used, by the way, in V. That's true. Okay, the Landmaster was based upon the vehicle that was in Rogers of the Lasney's short story, Damnation Alley. Yep. This right. vehicle was designed to be able to go through the radioactive mutant hell that was the center of the United States after the bombs dropped. Oh, I remember the movie. The vehicle was much bigger than the one in the story. The vehicle in the story actually had even more capability than that one did. But that vehicle, it had a tri-wheel assembly, which allowed the wheels, actually, if you, one of your wheels went into a chuck hole, the whole thing would flip over and you'd continue riding on the other two wheels. It would just pop itself out. You could go up a 60-degree climb. It had an articulated body. Yeah, and, and basically it was amphibious. The wheels would spin and power you through water. Like a paddle wheel. Like a paddle wheel. It was the basis we used for the Mars One and Mara Project, which is another thing I would love to have, too. Then again, the Landmaster at least ran off of diesel. The Mars One was nuclear-powered. You wouldn't want the uh, Hermaker Battle Jitney from Mystery Men? Well, you know, if I can go to that world and get one, yeah, I get. I actually wouldn't get a Herkimer Battle Jitney. I think it would drive on anything other than city streets, though. I think it was way too heavy. It would just bog itself down. Because the Landmaster in the movie was a fully functional vehicle. There was no miniature doing those stunts. I think it was built by AMC was one of the manufacturers for it. No, it was built by this guy who was in a specialty shop. It cost him $100,000 to build two of them. It was on a truck body. Truck by AMC truck body. That was it. Yes. We're talking diesel truck here. We're not talking about, you yeah. know, like pickup truck. They built two of them. They can build more. <laughs> was it really completely functional? Like, did they put it through rigorous testing? or Was it a Hollywood vehicle, you know? It was a Hollywood test. They did actually have it run across a lake, run across a river. Right. Everything okay. that you saw it doing from the exterior was real. Everything okay. on the inside was a set. Yeah, was, I mean, the it, thing also supposedly had like grenade launchers and missile launchers. Yeah. The machine guns built into it and all kinds of cool stuff. Like that It had robotics where it was literally you set the thing on a heading and you went to bed and the thing would drive around obstacles and things like that. And just take you where you wanted to go. Which we can actually do now. You know, until it ran into a gigantic series of uh, tornadoes and I mean, you can build specialty vehicles like that, which are designed to go over just about any kind of terrain. It is a vehicle that can be built. You can armor it, like you said, you can armor it. The real purpose for armor on a vehicle is to let you run away. 
and not stand there and take it, which is what a lot of players do. You players out there, just because you're in an armored vehicle doesn't mean you can stand there and be hit by shell after shell. Run! Yeah. So armor's four. Unless they have only like black powder weapons and no cannons, then fine, stand there and laugh at them. <laughs> Anything above a uh, iron technology, and you better be thinking about where those cannons are. Over in Iraq, they're using these you know crappy mines they put together, mm-hmm. but it turns out that they're using like low tech systems to build these mines, but with high tech concepts, and they're actually shaping them. They're building mines for next to nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're actually penetrating through our most modern armor because they're using modern science and shaping the charges so they punch through it. So yep. even if you have a highly armored vehicle, it only takes proper charge focused in the right direction and it'll it, it tear your vehicle in half. Yeah. Right. In Vietnam, they took the bombs that we dropped on that didn't explode and turned them into mines. Right. Yeah, I think they're doing that in Iraq too. A lot. They're doing a lot of that. That'd be in hostile territory. If you're not in hostile territory... Uh, one of the things a landmaster, saying like a landmaster would do, would be, well, shock and awe. Impress the hell out of the locals, up until including people in the 20th century. You know, if a landmaster would pull up in your Walmart, I would just go, whoa. <laughs> we got to take into consideration that a lot of the things that are not built or not on the roads or not being used today is because they're not cost effective. We could build cars that were like super strong and lasted forever, but the cost of building them, the cost of the materials, uh, the cost of the science and, and time it would take to design them is just not economically feasible. You'd have to sell these things for like $10 million a piece. No one can afford that. or It's not worth it to the car companies to build them. But we are talking about French travelers with a huge budget behind them. And they may not be driving around in $10 million vehicles. But they're going to be driving around in vehicles who have better parts. They may have pieces inside the, the transmission that are made out of titanium or carbon fiber elements so that you know, your transmission will go 500,000 miles and you can grind the crap out of it while somebody's shooting at you. You can beat the hell out of these vehicles because for a French traveler, it is economically feasible because you might be coming back with a piece of technology or information that will pay for itself. You're fringeworthy. You're one in 100,000. You can have a landmaster made with Chatham armor for your private vehicle to go out and venturing in. You can take hits up, for, including a, a low level depleted uranium round. What you're limited to is basically your imagination at, at, at that point. Now, this is like in the first 10 years. 20 years down the way, 30 years down the way, it may start changing. Oh, God, another fringe ray. What are we going to do with this guy? Uh, well, uh, here you go. You get $100,000 a year. <laughs> you're, you know, In 30 years, you're not going to be a rock star. You're going to be uh, another one of these guys. First couple of years, though, there is, you are going to be rock stars. You are going to be able to get stuff made that normally you wouldn't be able to get made. Look at the space program. Back in the late 60s and early 70s, these guys are rock stars with a crazy, ridiculous budget and, you know, whatever it took to get you there. Nowadays, NASA struggles for money. The general public, almost nobody knows any astronaut's name. You know, you ask anybody around you and and you're not going to get too many people who are going to know anything about it. So that's what's going to happen in the later campaign. But what's going to be different is in your later era, they're not going to be driving Earth vehicles a lot of the time. You know, you're going to have vehicles that they've been fa- that have been found on other worlds. Maybe even some of these Jamelan vehicles. It's going to be a different dynamic altogether, and it depends on how you want to run your game as to what people have found and what's being used. It's highly likely you're not going to be using Earth vehicles, or Earth vehicles will have changed because of the technology that you've brought back. So that even though you are driving maybe a vehicle that's built in an Earth factory, it's using alternate technology. You're operating Tamelan vehicles. And instead, Tamelan vehicles are probably going to be biological in nature. So they may not even have wheels. Well, they may have that, that biological engine. We talked about it before, you know, where yeah. it, it generates electricity through biology rather than through typical means so you've got electricity right through the ring and off to the world you go or it's a basically a custom-built creature if you've ever seen uh, my neighbor totoro think of the cat bus that's a tamelan vehicle right have you ever saw one <laughs> think back to old marvel comics back the old x-men um this, mm-hmm. with the star jammers and such they flew around in these giant whale spaceships and mm-hmm. uh, they had shark fighters and they were basically creatures that they'd there's these spacefaring creatures that they built spaceships in inside of. Mm-hmm. It's also possible that your vehicle might actually have a brain in it. 
Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That <clears throat> was just sort of saying you've got yourself a really high-tech horsey now. When designed for the operate for 2,000 miles before you have to worry about doing anything with them. <laughs> or a creepy kit. Yeah. <laughs> she says, hello, Michael, you're sitting on me. <laughs> <laughs> Comfy, Michael, I've warmed your seat for you. I know how you like that. Right. <laughs> Uh, you're like, shut up, kid. Yeah. Yeah. We should we should kind of summarize all this, you know. Um, well, we haven't it, talked about attack vehicles. Oh, I'm we sorry. Okay, yeah, let's do that. Fast, let's oh, yeah. rescue. See, it's it's one thing to say, hey, we're going out there to explore and things like that, but sometimes things go south. Sometimes, oh, yes. you know, someone gets hurt real bad and they need to get you know evac out quickly, and you may not have a uh, an air vehicle with you. Or you have to zip in and rescue somebody and head on right back out again. So these are much different types of vehicles than the kind of vehicle you use to drag all your stuff along as you went, you know, exploring from settlement to settlement. Oh, yeah. So what kind of vehicle would you want, John? Any rescue vehicles probably going to also have to be a combat vehicle in these situations. At the very least, you're looking like a Bradley. Are you talking about a tank, John? A tank? It's not a tank. It's It's an infantry vehicle. It's designed to carry troops, and it has a 20-millimeter gun on and a turret on the roof. And it's fast? Yes, and it's fast. <sighs> How fast is it, John? You're going to make me go look it up, aren't you? <laughs> no, no. You, you can add it to the show notes, but I'm just wondering. People in, in cars are going to probably beat you, but you'll be faster than a horse. Okay. So I would say between 30 and 45 miles an hour. Yeah, if you're being chased by a car, you just turn the turret around and blow the car away. In our initial campaign, we had the Moscovy, which was an armored personnel carrier, and it had the big, you know, tires on it, solid core, whatever like that. We used that to do everything, you know, but it wasn't the fastest vehicle, but at least we could drive it through a wall or right in the middle of something and and spray out all kinds of gas and smoke and stuff like that and, and then run out and make our rescue or whatever and then turn around and beat feet back to the portal. And that thing, I think, had listed a top speed of 80 miles an hour, though I'm sure that's over a road. Uh, and I wasn't too sure about having solid tires and doing that either. That was the vehicle we had. I always uh, more inclined to think along the lines of some of the souped-up dune buggies. You could have a 50 caliber mounted inside that thing in full ro- roll capacity and uh, things like that. Um, some of the things you would have seen in like a Mad Max movie. Yeah. Now, it comes from fast-track vehicles. There's actually a... I hate to say it because I'm, I'm going to be. I'm sh- it sounds like I'm going to be shilling a show on, on the Discovery Channel, but these two guys called the Power Brothers have built the world's fastest tracked vehicle. It can do up to 90 miles an hour. That's fast. It's I think it's called the Razor, and they're building prototypes for the for the military. Actually, what they're trying to build is a prototype that doesn't that's not manned, but the the, the prototype they have right now is manned, and it goes 90 miles an hour. It gives you all terrain capabilities. It gives you speed. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't have much in the way of armor. Well, it's relying on you not being hit. Yeah, it's relying on you going zipping in real fast. And then, then again, like we, like we said before, you, if you got a landmaster, you make sure you got a turret mounting thing. Well, the big advantage to me of a large attack vehicle is the fact that it can mount all kinds of smoke and gas projectors on it. So even, even though they're firing at it, they really can't see it very well, which makes a big difference. We may want to consider more than one vehicle. I mean, you have your vehicle, your, your support vehicle, which is standing off and providing support fire for smaller, faster vehicles to zoom in and rescue whoever you're trying to rescue. So okay. I, I'm guessing the tumbler is out of the question. Is, is that the one from uh, Batman? Yeah. <laughs> Remember, that is, that is a real vehicle. It just can't do the jump, but it's a real vehicle. I mean, with mo- proper modification, you probably could get the jump ravines. It wouldn't be out of question. I mean, you just go approach those guys and say, we want you to build this thing for real. Yeah, build a real one. <laughs> this is a pretty slick car, man. Independent suspension on all four wheels. Yeah. <laughs> now, it can change shapes. It can, do cor- it can really corner. If you're doing a rescue mission, that's an urban rescue mission vehicle. That's, I mean, yes, you could take it off-road. You could take it all-terrain. But it, it doesn't really have the clearance for that that, that I would want yep. if I'm going to be going off-road. I would think the first real serious yes. patch of, of bad road or ditch would, would destroy that thing. Um, I, I don't care what it's built out of it. And if it didn't destroy it, it would destroy you because you'd get beat all to hell on the inside of it. Yeah. As an urban vehicle, I think the thing is fantastic. Low-profile, 
mm-hmm. like you're saying, you can whip around corners. I mean, relatively. That's why I like the the dune buggy thing, where you've got like yeah. a kind of cage you're in, and you're traveling. You can drive around, you know, any over any terrain very quickly, sharp turns, sixty miles an hour. You're wearing all the armor on the inside. The outside is just to keep is, is to provide structural pr- protection. So right. if someone tries to bang into you with another vehicle, you're not going to get crushed. I like the dune buggy. That's that's a good choice. Especially if you're like in a desert terrain, I really honestly don't think you could you could do better than that in a in like a desert terrain or snow terrain. They work just or, as well on right. snow. That's true. <laughs> I also like the combat tactical vehicle, kind of like a Humvee, sort of, but it's uh, it's got angular armor on it. It looks like it's it's for carrying troops. It's got a sixty on the top of it um, and a swivel mount. A Hummer's not a bad choice either. You know, a Hummer is a really good vehicle. It seems kind of cliche to say, "Oh yeah, Hummer," but but it, that's what it was made to do. It's it's yeah. a it's a fantastic vehicle for that. Well, you know, a Hummer it, is designed to to be tricked out in a number of different configurations. One of which fires a tow missile. Right. No, but, but what I'm saying is for rescue, it's a it's an excellent yeah. vehicle for rescue. It's. It, I agree. If you look it up, it's called the Combat Tactical Vehicle. That looks huh? pretty slick too. I mean, I don't know what kind of stats it has, but. It, it looks like you could put a hurting on somebody, and it, it looks like it could move pretty quick. There's a Bullet Points article on the Wizards of the Coast website in your D20 section. I'll get a link for that. That talks about standing out vehicles. You just need to know some basic numbers about the vehicle, and you should be able to actually have in-game stats. There's no reason why they couldn't build custom vehicles for fringeworthy people. You don't have to make these things to be manufactured or to be, you know, to be in a factory or anything like that. You know, these could literally be hand built. Oh yeah. The downside, Blix, of, of making something hand built is that the you know, fledgling GM or players may not really know what they want, what they can do, what they can, you know, get. So I would highly recommend that you go online and you look into some of these vehicles that already are out there. And just use them. It's got some problems because it's a prototype. But then we're going to take it back to our shop. We're going to let the real scientists work on them. And they're going to make them more reliable and you know solve some of these initial problems that they say are, are keeping them from being a actual viable vehicle. And then use it in your game. Yeah, John just sent me a link or just sent us a link for the combat tactical vehicle. And it's got some pretty neat features in it. Optional rear wheel steering. Central tire inflation system, run flat tires, can go through water 30 inches deep. Mm-hmm. That's pretty sweet. That's a pretty sweet little vehicle. Yeah. So. Yeah. You're listening to the Fringeworthy Podcast. Okay, Carol, now you take these notes and then we're about ready to begin. Oh, okay, sure. Well... What are you two doing here? We don't record until tomorrow. We're making a new promo for All Games Considered, since you were dragging your feet getting one written. Hey. She's right, though. It's been too long, and a lot has happened since the last promo. Yeah, like winning the gold any for Best Gaming Podcast for 2009. You mean the one you try to work into the conversation every other episode? Hey. Now, now, there's more than that. There's the new format. You mean the main show every two weeks and the assortment of other features in the meantime? Right, like games you may never have heard of, the review and news shows. Don't forget the RPG buffet. And on the main show, we have more time to focus on gaming topics. Like board and card games. And RPGs. And the people who play them, from the old school to the newest of the new. But But no no changeling. changeling. Hey! Find out more at agcpodcast.info. All games considered, because there's more than one true way to play. Okay, so let's talk about some of the specialty vehicles that actually are out there that you might find useful in some of your adventures. There's actually a vehicle out there that's designed to lay down a bridge for you. You bring it along. It's, it's, it's actually a, a fully contained vehicle with a kind of an arm on it that literally levers a bridge over the cab of the vehicle and lays it down to the other side of the water. And then you can drive up and over the vehicle to the other side. Bridge laying vehicles are a tried and true uh, engineering vehicle. Armored fighting vehicles was published by Barnes and Noble. It's, it was current up to ni- 1999. If there's a current, more current version, it'll probably have more vehicles in it. But it's, it has a complete listing of current and historical vehicles. So if you're curious what you, someone would be driving in, uh, say during World War One, it has it. The bridge layers we Americans used 
it would lay the bridge and then disconnect from it, and then you, it could then drive over the bridge itself. That's another option. Whenever you're thinking about these vehicles, don't just think about how it helps your exploration. Because ultimately, you're going to try to want to make contact with the people of this world. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of these specialized vehicles actually provide greatly useful functions for a community, not just yourself. The the bridge-laying one, you know, here's some people who've been separated from the other side. And, you know, let's say the water moves too quickly for them to go in and build a bridge or they don't have the technology. And you lay a bridge down in, in a half hour flat. You're going to be number one on there, on these guys' uh, hero list for some period of time. Oh, yeah. It's a good way to make a good first impression. And if you're bringing a lot of stuff in trucks, they can't be amphib- amphibious. They can't go underwater and stuff like that. They're carrying too much weight. They're going to need a real road. So something that can lay down, something that would be at least a partial road, is a good thing to have. Yep. And there's various vehicles for that, too. There was a tank that was built to lay down a... Bamboo batten mat was used during D-Day to get over some of the more marshier beaches. It would lay down this mat and drive over at the same time. And we were talking before. This is this was some time ago. I think this was this was on the forum. We're talking about a a giant bus-like vehicle, like a train. Actually, it was like a train-like truck. You talking about a road train? Yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, they're most commonly used over in Australia because they have such great distances to travel. So there you go. I mean, there, there's a vehicle that would be perfect if you had, uh, let's say the portal is 500 miles from the nearest anything, any civilization. Right. Um, and you've got a whole team of people you're going to take. Yeah. But that would take some modification because, unfortunately, it is very most definitely – a civilized uh, road vehicle. I can just see that guy trying trying to pull that road train through a bog. Uh, no, uh, you're going to you, it's going to get stuck. <laughs> oh, no, I'm, well, I'm not saying well, you could take it anywhere. It's it's not an all terrain vehicle. I'm saying that it would have a purpose. It would also be good. Let's say you don't say you don't go very far at all. You just want to set up a base. You want to set up an instant base within a short distance of the, of the pathway. You could pull that thing through, and you've got you know several buildings that you can work out of. That's why I was looking at the pickup truck. A pickup truck equipped with a fifth wheel so that you can then bring that trailer along. That If I'm going someplace, I'm going to be camping out for two or three weeks, I'm not sitting in no tent. I'm bringing along a little mobile home with me I can set up using the base. <laughs> in uh, one of the campaigns we ran, we actually got one of the ducks, the, the World War II amphibious assault, well, not uh, landing vehicles. Yep. And there, it's, it's D-U-K-R. I actually put a mobile home in the uh, payload bed of that thing and uh, use that as my combination driving vehicle over rough terrain and also anytime we were in the water. It was seaworthy to a certain extent. I justified that in the game by saying I was this gynecologist who uh, had this love for vehicles, so he took this old duck and restored it. When he, they found out he was fringeworthy, he said, well, yeah, but I want to bring my vehicle along with me. And the GM let me do that. So that became our primary vehicle for exploration was that thing. It's got four wheels, big tires. It's got a diesel engine in it. And it's got a a special thing on the back that allows it to run an outboard motor connected to it as well. So we could just go over any kind of train we wanted to. Those of you who are listening to this, if you think that's the coolest thing you ever heard of, hey, your GM probably could find some fringe path world out there that is about the same year as that thing was developed, and it, you might be able to find that on one of those fringe worlds out there. So don't think just because it's a 60-year-old tank or vehicle or whatever it is, now it doesn't have to be 60 years old. It could be brand new coming off the, the assembly line. You just have to go to a world that's time-shifted just enough for it to be uh, modern day for them. Another thing you can think about is it doesn't have to be the actual vehicle you're driving. Take into consideration trailers. There are trailers that the military use. You, you park this trailer and you uh, spark up a generator on it and the thing converts. You know the, the sides pop out and this thing grows to like three times its size and you literally have a portable base. They even have like extra – they're like modules that attach to it for air conditioning or whatever, whatever purpose you're, you're out there for. You know, the military likes to be, you know, multi-purpose utilitarian like the Humvee. You know, you could bring your home with you. When this thing is folded up, you could actually pack material in it. You just have to take all that stuff out before you unfold it. 
you know you could have a portable base a shelter you know you're setting up in the desert you know that might be important you know because it, it might get to be 140 degrees during the day and you could you could be sitting inside of this shelter during the day you know running your air conditioner off of solar energy or or you know a generator that you bring with you you know and then do most of your stuff when it starts to cool down or maybe you're in an arctic climate you know you pop that thing out well arctic would be kind of tough because you'd have you'd have all the snow and stuff to deal with but let's say it's it's like the tundra you know the ground's frozen and you can still drive around and you know you could park this thing out there and it could keep you warm during the day those are just the things i'm thinking of you know it could be for any number of reasons i think a pop-up base is a great idea Another thing I was looking at was land sales as a specialty type vehicle. If you're in a very flat terrain, I, I would imagine you could, you know, get these things kind of built up a little bit so that you could even go over some slightly rough terrain. Literally sail around on the ground as long as you have wind. They'd be a good choice of reconnaissance vehicles if you knew that, you know, you were going in an area where there was going to be a lot of resistance or things like that. Right. So, but along the ideas of something more of these specialty vehicles. June Lockhart, who was the mom on Lassie and has been in a number of movies over, she uh, actually used to drive around in a red fire truck. <laughs> She'd go driving up to Studio uh, 54 and, and with a whole bunch of stars and people sitting on the back of that thing. It was like a ladder carrier, one of the old-time ones. Mm-hmm. Right. And so uh, a vehicle like that has really big engines in it, and it can pull a lot of weight. And if you're someplace where you need to put out a fire, it's got what you need. And fire hoses are, are actually pretty good for keeping back the natives, too, or, or masses of meller that might be, at least meller that might be trying to attack you. Yeah. Of course, you, you want to look for a pumper truck then, because then you can just, just drop a hose into any convenient water source, and hey, you're ready to go. A vehicle like that could also be a great asset to a community as well, because you know most uh, of these communities are going to have much less high technology when it comes to this kind of thing. And your vehicle can be, your cab can be completely enclosed to provide you with the kind of protection you might want to have. And let's not forget our compatriots, both the Victorians and the Romans. Now, the Pax Romana is actually about 14th century technology, but it still means they're going to be using probably horse-pulled wagons. Even though we were talking about about horses on the fringe not being perfect, you still got to remember that some folks out there, if they decided to venture out, especially after, after first contact with the Romans, they decided to venture out. They're going to use what they got, which means you can probably see a Roman wagon being pulled by a couple of oxen walking down the down the fringe path and also off terrain on other worlds. You might see a cherry going down the road almost as fast as your vehicle. <laughs> right. That's true. And we, we totally skipped over that. Taking horses on the fringe path, using them as your source of transportation is not a good idea. However, putting them in a trailer... And bringing them to a world is a good idea. It's a great idea. Yep. Right. Especially if you know you've had people at that world before, and said so they went through, and they said, "Well, we went through. We did a survey, or you put your wind up out there, and you did a survey, and there was no, no source of radio signals. You know, just you know, galactic static. So, you know, we were saying before, you don't want to scare the natives. Um, so you bring horses. If they've never seen a person on a horse before, that's fine. That's not going to terrify them. They'll probably just go, oh, that's pretty cool. We never thought of that. They'll think you're a centaur. (laughs) Or they might think you're a centaur. But but what they won't think is that you're on some kind of crazy thing that's spitting out noise and terrifying. You know, you won't be seen as some crazy monster in some kind of weirdo contraption. Right. Just make sure you bring food for the horse and right. uh, you filter its water because you don't know if there's it's going to have an allergic reaction to something it might eat or drink on that world. And that's not hard to do. You, it's to carry that kind of stuff. Yeah, or it gets picks up some par- some nasty little parasites along the way. Uh, right. Well, that's why you want to make sure that you feed them and, and water them from, from your own sources. Actually, thinking about that, you want to drink that water, too, because you don't want to get none of those nasty parasites inside of you, either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Eating native food is okay if it's well-cooked or if, if it's been put down to about zero degrees for about a year, then you're pretty safe. But otherwise, there's all kinds of unfriendly things that can latch onto you uh, yeah. that you can't even see. They'll grow from eggs and to something quite a bit more sizable inside your body. And when the emperor offers you a cool drink made from the frosted snows of the, of the mountain peaks, don't turn him down because, well, well, you can always you can always get dewormed afterwards. <laughs> you don't want to insult the uh, emperor. 
And, no. you know, honestly, if, if you don't want to take those chances at all, don't go out on the French pass. Because, <laughs> I mean, ultimately the time's going to come where it's like, all right, you know what? We ran out of water. We ran out of food. I, I'm drinking the water. I'm going to boil it or whatever, but it's that or dehydrate to death. So, Well, well water purification gear should be part of any exploration uh, yeah. uh, equipment thing out. I mean, you can actually go the full-blown thing and go to a, and get a, bring in a water reclamation truck that actually can literally suck all the water out of a swamp and turn it into crystal clear, pure water that you could use to, to supply for an entire community. It uses osmosis filters, which means eventually it will clog up and you have to replace those filters. Smoking Murphy's Law is what I'm saying. Yeah. Eventually, there's going to come a time where your adventurer is just going to be like, you know what? I'm drinking the water. That's right. Yep. That's, <laughs> that's, that's what you invest in. Invest in some copper, some copper tubing, and you build yourself a still to make water you can drink. <laughs> you may or not some, have that or something, that, something that's better than water. Yeah. I mean, low alcohol takes care of lots of, lots of pests. Lots of pests. <laughs> yeah. Alcohol. If you're on another world, alcohol is always your better choice. If you got some extra skill points, sink them into your knowledge brewing. That way, at least if you're on another world, you can know you can drink the water because you processed it into something drinkable. So to keep this on topic, there's no reason why you couldn't have a water purification system built into your vehicle. Absolutely. Nope. They did some tests way, way back in the, in the early part of the 19th century, or 20th century, I'm sorry, 1900s. Uh, they, they had this community in the Appalachia, and the community was full of the most layabout, worthless folks you ever saw in your life. I mean, these people could, could barely do anything. They were dumb. They were you know, uh, low on intelligence. They were unmotivated, nothing. And they finally did a workup on them and found these people were full of parasites. They cleaned <laughs> them out. It was like an economic boom. These people were, had lots of energy. They were running around doing stuff. Their, their uh, infant mortality dropped to practically nil. I mean, it was a complete turnaround. And it was one of the, of course, cases that they said, look, this is why you know, things like water uh, reclamation plants and treatment plants and sewers and things like that are important. And it's something that every state should be investing in for all their communities, not just the ones that have 50,000 or more people. Welcome to the modern age. Being able to provide that sort of thing to a community as a fringe explorer is a great way of making you know, these people your friends. You know, I, I, I keep saying this right, as we do these podcasts. My methodology has always been make them want to protect you. Make them see you as being invaluable, well, invaluable to them, but not so invaluable that you, you they'll never let you go. But I mean, but still, just to the point where they want to help you, they want to protect you, they want to you know, go the extra mile because you're freaking weird to them. You're, you've got an uphill road the whole time, and the more nice things you do for them, the better the better your relationships with the natives is going to be. Yep. And now, now one thing I think we haven't touched on though, and I think we probably should, is every one of these vehicles we're talking about. Requires something very precious, fuel. Fuel. <laughs> Except for the electrical uh, motorcycle, which you can do solar if you're desperate. That's right. Not desperate if you plan for it. Yep. It's not that hard. Yep. Oh, and my favorite, the bicycle. Yep. But the other vehicles, uh, Landmaster may be the greatest little vehicle you ever go run around, but it runs on diesel. Right. Mm-hmm. And when you run out of diesel, you now have a very large, very heavy. RV sitting in, sitting on, on, on blocks. <laughs> That's always been a concern of mine when when we've played French Worthy. You know, everybody's always like, let's get a diesel vehicle, diesel vehicle. And I'm like, well, there's no reason why whatever world we're going to is going to have diesel fuel. You know, or they'll yeah. say we'll pick it, we'll pick it up along the way. I'm like, well, how do you know they're going to have diesel? And, and and let's say they do have diesel. Let's say they have a, a version of diesel fuel. What if it's not the right you know mix? You have to tune it and adjust it so it will burn, it'll burn what you got what you put into it. I mean, diesels will burn gasoline. Okay, they will. But you really have to play with the compression on, with that, because gasoline mm-hmm. will blow a hole through your head if you not, don't do it right. There's a lot of substitutes for diesel fuel. Yeah. Oils from many plants, like sunflower seeds, mm-hmm. make mm-hmm. excellent diesel Grape fuel seed. substitutes. Wait a minute, and you can use those, just pour that in and, and use it with no modification? Yeah, fil- you have to okay. filter it, but yeah, you can you can pour it in and use it. I I you know I know that they they did this in in Soviet Union a lot of times too. Okay, all uh, right, that's cool. No, that, that's yeah, awesome. You, 
just bring yourself a nice, you know, ten pound sack of, uh, of of sunflower seeds, and next spring you can go driving again. Yep, and that's why I, I said mean, you learn how to brew because <laughs> so, you always make ethanol. So what you're saying is having a crack shot mechanic on your team is becoming more and more essential every moment, especially if he knows uh, how to do stuff with fuel. Yeah. Craft, yeah. chemical, electrical is really good to have. Right. Uh, on one of the missions that I uh, ran for uh, my team, they haven't gone on it this time yet. I may bring them to it. Uh, they actually were on a world that was artificial, and they had to travel a million miles. Mm-hmm. And... They they were like, well, how are we going to go a million miles? I mean, this place is nothing but jungle and forest, and we and, and they came, they came up with the idea of using a dirigible, and uh, but not to get afar from our topic, what they did was that they hung beneath the dirigible, they hung a basically a methanol cracking plant where they would literally go and go down, chop down trees, cut them up into pieces, stick them into this thing, and then produce uh, methanol from it. Now, since I've watched the TV show, The Colony, that was on the Science Channel, uh, Discovery Channel, I realized that I could have just used a gasifier, and they could have you know, had an engine running off of just the gas from uh, mm-hmm. burning well, wood that's been under uh, heated under compression, and it, it could run it. It ran a truck in that uh, a diesel truck, uh, in that particular case, and it could have easily run a prop on a, an air vehicle or even a, a vehicle that you're driving. So you might you know, have to pull a trailer or something like that, but you could literally drive your vehicle as long as you had wood. Yeah. Wow. So that's one of the solutions if you know you're going really, really far away and you can't bring a lot of stuff with you. During World War II, Scandinavia was hard up for fuel. So there, a lot of vehicles were built commercially with gasifiers on them. So you can take the plentiful woods of the forest and use the power of the vehicles. Explain to me what a gasifier is, because I'm sure there's a lot of other people out there going, what? A what a what? A gasifier, basically you take wood or you take some sort of cellulose-based product, like wood chips, sawdust, whatever, and you put it into an uh, airtight stove, so to speak. Uh, part of it is going to be burned to produce heat, but the rest of that heat is going to use to drive off the volatile gases in the wood. Mm-hmm. And then you take that smoke and those gases and you run them through a filter of some sort to remove all, any particulate matter. And then you get basically uh, hydrogen and uh, various other volatile gases that you can then run to your engine and, and, run and burn. Right into the carburetor. Right into the carburetor. Petroleum-based vehicles like diesel engines – you're going to either need to bring along a, an oil tanker, this is one of your vehicles, and park it on the platform for later use, or you're going to have to learn how to fuel it on the fly on these various worlds when you've inevitably run out of fuel. Don't look for a single solution on vehicles. Uh, look for a mix of vehicles that will serve your needs on the particular mission in hand. You need scout vehicles, you need backup vehicles, you need transport-type vehicles for heavy equipment and just to get yourself from place to place. Mm -hmm. And there may be some specialized vehicles you might want to bring simply because that is, you know, what's appropriate for that particular environment or that particular mission. Don't just look at one vehicle and say, this is the ultimate vehicle. I'm going to use this no matter where I go. Unless, of course, it really is the ultimate vehicle, in which case, you know, once you write it up and put it into, and maybe we can put it in the game for some of the later explorations. Yep. You're never going to have everything you need, equipment, vehicle, whatever the situation may be, because the French path is just, it's too variable. So you're going to make the best guess that you can make. You're going to pick the best vehicle that you think you're going to need at the time. And it's going to do you as well as, as it possibly can. And don't sweat. You run into a situation where you don't have exactly what you need because you can only bring so many vehicles with you. If you have four people on your team, that's four vehicles, unless you got some in tow. You could have more vehicles following you. Oh, yeah, right. You could do that. I was just talking about getting them to the portal to get them onto the world. You don't have to bring all those vehicles in one trip. You could bring four or five vehicles, go back and get more. Oh, yeah. You know, if if the job requires more, you know, you may require a bunch of vehicles there uh, for different purposes. So, you know, you can always make multiple trips. You can always abandon vehicles, too. So don't, that's never a concern. You know, vehicles are never worth as much as a life. Which but, is why you don't want kit. 
Yeah, you don't want kitten right now. Because then you're leaving a man behind. Yeah. Right. But bicycles. That's going to be my, my one thing. Mm-hmm. Always, always, always have them with you. Bicycles. Oh, yeah. And you may find yourself in a situation where, say, you're in a portal. It's in a cavern. The only way out is a shaft going straight up. Well, there we go. I guess, like like Peter said, you're taking bicycles at that point until you can figure some way to get vehicles up that shaft. It doesn't matter what you bring at that point. You're going to have to carry it before you can use it. So, folks, vehicles are important because that's how you get there. But it's also how you explore that world. Don't fall in love with one kind of vehicle. Remember that you can be going different places in different worlds. And each one will require different vehicle types. Sometimes it may be best to show up on a bicycle. Sometimes, yeah, you're going to need that landmaster to come rolling up in the Walmart and scare the locals. But remember, the right vehicle for the right job is what you're looking for. So until next time. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there. So go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. And this is Blix. Remember, bullets speak louder than words.